Folks, one thing real quick before we start. The audio quality from our guest, Professor Rumult, is not that good, and we apologize for that. Sometimes when you talk to somebody who is a legend in his field, you don't get to dictate the equipment he or she uses. And so we apologize. We know that we've heard from many of you over the years that Mike and now Paul Figiani, our audio recording engineer, the quality that they produce is outstanding. And we know we didn't quite meet that this time. And we thought that the quality of the knowledge would make up for some audio less than perfection. So we apologize. Welcome to Executive Tools. We have a very special guest today. I, I was talking to Richard Rumelt, who's our guest, who is a strategy professor at the Anderson School at UCLA uh, and a Cal Bears grad. And I mentioned to him that I was a little bit in awe of him because of the quality of his book, Good Strategy, Bad Strategy. And uh, he was gracious enough to agree to come on the show and talk about strategy. So, Richard, welcome to Manager Tools. Mark, thank you for having me. So, Richard, in terms of background, in your book, you talked about working at JPL, and I happened, you and I both know what JPL is, maybe not all Americans, and we have internationalists, it stands for Jet Propulsion Laboratories over in Pasadena, one of the crown jewels of American's technical infrastructure, in my opinion, right up there with Caltech. So that's where you started after going to Cal. And, and then you ended up a strategy consultant of some renown. <laughs> How does that happen? Mark, uh, I was, uh, I wanted to be an astronaut. Okay. I was ready to go to Mars one way. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but uh, my degree in electrical engineering uh, got me a job at Jet Propulsion Labs. There was actually some confusion early on. I, I studied systems, control systems at Cal Berkeley. And control systems are things like, oh, the automatic flight control system in an aircraft. Okay. At JPL, they were looking for systems engineers. Now, at JPL, a systems engineer is someone who takes design responsibility for a whole system. So the word system appears in both titles. <laughs> so somehow I wound up as a systems engineer at Jet Propulsion Labs uh, in charge of designing future spacecraft. Not in charge of right, right, saturation, right. but but I had a, a future spacecraft I was supposed to be looking at, and I worked with people and others. I was looking at uh, what we called at that time the, the Jupiter mission. Wow. Okay. We had, uh, we had, uh, and JPL does unmanned spacecraft. Mm -hmm. uh, we had uh, something that went to the moon and landed there called Surveyor. And we had something that went to Mars and did a flyby. And we wanted to do a flyby of Jupiter. But what would it look like? You know, would it have radioactive power or solar power? Would it spin? Would it not spin? These are all systems engineering questions that. Certainly, my, my education didn't prepare me to answer. Right. But out of that, I decided I wanted to I wanted to be a program manager. I wanted to run the Man Mars Expedition. Wow. Which would go in 1984. Okay. So I went off to apply to business schools to learn to be a manager. 
And I already already had a master's degree. So I foolishly applied to doctoral programs, thinking, well, that's one level up. Sure. I'll really learn how to be a manager in the doctoral program. Oh, yeah. And Harvard offered me Famous last words of a fool. Yeah, Harvard offered me the largest fellowship. So I wound up at Harvard Business School. And while I was there, I got uh, two things happened. One is I got really interested in management and business. Mm -hmm. Uh, The second thing is they had not a clue about how to manage a technical project. No. They thought that managing engineers was perhaps a bit like managing a dance troupe of kind of (laughs) fussy people. And the third thing that happened was uh, we defunded the space program. decided to have a war in Vietnam instead. So all of those things came together, and I wound up as a professor of business strategy. Wow. Okay, so I'm going to tell a very brief story from the book, and you're welcome to expand upon it if you like. And then I'm going to ask you about probably the thing that people talk the most in good strategy, bad strategy, is the kernel which was incredibly helpful to me to after years and years and years of sitting in strategy sessions and reading everything Porter ad infinitum, that idea really resonated with me. But the story was you were teaching at Anderson, your Dean comes down and says, he wants to get back into teaching. He's going to sit in some of your classes at the end of a class. He expresses to you that his, experience watching the class as you're leading them in a question and answer session to help them figure out what to do. He says, you know, it appears there's an awful lot here of people trying to figure out what's going on. And what was interesting to me is you immediately said something that a lot of business school professors which would, would not say, which is, he was absolutely right. I don't know why I hadn't thought of that before. But a big part of strategy is what do we think the world is doing? What do, where do we think people are going? What trend does this suggest? What is going to happen here? As opposed to, as you say many times in the book, we need financial goals, which are not necessarily tethered to what's going on in the real world. That to me, I read it and I read it three or four times and I said to myself, when I go to good strategy sessions, when I help companies do good strategy sessions, that's what I see. They're trying to figure out what's happening outside the organization. And the bad ones, they're trying to figure out how to make what they're doing inside fit some sort of narrative. Okay, so that was my aha. And then I read the rest of the book voraciously, and now I've read it a second time. So feel free to talk about that and also about the kernel, because there's Hundreds of thousand people who listen to this who haven't followed my repeated guidance to read the book. Well, the kernel is in good strategy, bad strategy. It's a central idea. And it's it's the idea of how do you evaluate the strategy? How do you how do you know if you have a strategy? Okay. And the kernel is based upon the idea that a strategy solves a problem. If you listen to consulting firms, uh, particularly uh, and and, and business school professors and and so many authorities, what they will offer you on strategy are analytical tools, typically. You should analyze your industry. You should analyze your customers. You should look at the sources of value added in the value chain. 
Now, none of these things are wrong. They're all tools and they're all ways of looking at a business or competitive situation, but none of them are a strategy. They are tools right, uh, for an, analyzing uh, competitive situations. Right. So it, it took me a while to get my own head straight about what is actually a strategy. As you were going through your PhD program, did they teach you tools? No. No. Okay. No. The tool was look at strengths, look at weaknesses, look at opportunities, look, look at, at risks, right. and yeah. come up with something. Yeah. Okay. That was the tool. Okay. And I began to work with companies, I began to work with the Department of Defense, began to work with government agencies, and I began, people began to ask me, well, what's a strategy? And so early on in my career, I had this standard lecture I'd do. And the lecture had a roadway winding through the terrain. That's a picture. And along the roadway were strategy concepts over time. You know, there was that he's the general, uh, she's the leader, she's got the five forces, or she's got the experience curve, or she has the matrix. Or, yeah. And these are all, and, and, and it, it took me a while to realize, well, wait a minute, none of these are strategy. They are popular tools for, for selling consulting and for thinking about it. The strategy is, is the solution to a problem. The basic, basic problem is we're outnumbered. What do we do? Yeah. Uh, we want to help the Ukrainians, but we don't want to war with Russia. What do we do? Right. We have a challenge. We have a problem. And it seems obvious, but it isn't to so many people, that you can't solve a problem that you haven't defined, that you haven't grasped and understood the complexities of. Why is this problem difficult? What are the constraints? What makes it hard? Mm -hmm. And so the, the kernel says, well, there's a, there's a key component here, which is diagnosis, which is understanding the facts on the ground. What's the situation where we face? Right. And there's going to be then some approach to solving that which is guiding policies in the kernel. Right. And then the fundamental idea in strategy, one of the fundamental forces that it uses is focus. In military terms, the strategy is about finding a weakness and applying your strengths to it. Right. In either military, either our forces on the ground or information or something like that. So there's a focus of, of energy. And that's, that's what strategy is. Strategy is how am I going to solve this problem? I had a, a guy tell me once, and I liked it, so I've repeated it, uh, is that you know when a company is really paying attention to its own strategy, when senior people say to people beneath them who have a vested interest in, in the conversation, say, no, we're not doing that, we're doing this. And, and he said that the example is, can an EVP say that to a VP who really wants to do X, but the strategy says, no, his group is going to have to do Y, and he's being told, nope, you can't do X anymore. To me, he said, if you're having EVPs say that to VPs or CEOs to VPs or whatever, that's a good sign that the strategy is serious. Agree or disagree? 
I would more or less agree. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it, there's, a, there's a huge right. set of constraints that are applied when you try to focus your energy on something. Um, that focusing organizational energy on accomplishing some basic move forward that's strategic means you have to line things up. And if, if you're the United States, the United States is going to have a strategy, which it doesn't. Right. It hasn't, it hasn't since 1941. But if we were, then, you know, you would coordinate economic policy, social policy, military policy, mm -hmm. all across the board. There would have to be a coordination of, of what we're doing if, if, it's a, if it's a major thing. Right. We're told right now that climate is a major risk to us and to civilization. But the obvious solution, which is to use some energy source other than burning oil, right. is off the table. Because people, are, people are so afraid of nuclear energy that they, they'd rather die in the cold right. than, <laughs> than permit a, right. a nuclear plant. Right. And, you know, and they're, they're scared of 1960s technology, which they should be. We shouldn't operate any of nuclear plant that was designed in the 60s. We didn't know how to do it back then. But the, I don't want to get off on that subject too deeply. But so strategy, whether it's about energy or military affairs or your corporate thing, there has to be a coordination of, of, of right. actions and policies across, across the organization. Now, how much coordination is required? The honest answer is the minimum coordination is don't do things that contradict each other. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's the minimum. Yeah. Here's a thought for you on that. I, I, I want to get your thoughts about bad strategy uh, because you have some fantastic stories, really crunchy stories. But my experience with strategy is it's hard enough to do one hard thing, but strategy has two hard things in it, in my estimation. And I'm not an Anderson School strategy professor. Uh, by, the, by the way, Mark, I'm, I'm Professor Emeritus now. Oh, thankfully. Professor Emeritus. Okay. Thankfully, I'm, I'm retired from. E even better. That means you have more time to come on again at some point <laughs> in the future, if I can convince you. So the two things that it, again, one thing is hard enough. That's hard is hard, but two things make make things a bridge too far. It's hard for people who haven't been doing it for a long time to try to sense what is going on outside the organization. When I talk to people in organizations, managers and executives, they always talk about what's going on inside, and and they expend a lot of energy talking about relationships and failures and successes and so on. And I think that that makes sense to me because they control the internal environment, the external environment, getting people to talk about what's going on outside. Some people are afraid of it because they think I've never been taught how to do that. So I don't know whether what I'm doing is right or wrong. They think it's reserved for more senior people or wiser people or whatever, but outside stuff is hard. And, you know, we say all the time, if you listen to a bunch of our cast, you'd hear me say things that Peter Drucker says all the time. And one of the things Drucker said all the time was all results are outside of the organization and all everything inside the organization is a cost. So we try to encourage our listeners to think about what's going on outside and then work backwards and say, okay, how, what is that? What's that impact for me? Now, it probably is hard to do if you're an individual contributor, but if you're a vice president, you start getting closer 
to what I call the future, which is where the customer is. That's the first thing, talking about the outside world, talking about what's going on. And you told several stories, probably 20 of them, about people accurately reading what was going on in their world. But the second thing that I think is hard, and I've spent my entire career in this field, is even if they know what's going on outside, there are people who are good at that, but then who cannot put together a plan and hold people down the chain of command accountable for the deliverables to make it so. There are people who can do deliverables. There are people who can do project plans and hold people accountable. And they're very tactical. And then there are people who are very strategic. To do both of those things, it's hard. It's just hard. Yes, it's hard. It's hard work. And people have different skills. And when we ask what's going on outside the organization, of course, nobody really knows. There's no facts. There's other people's opinions. The best we can do is get informed, smart people together and have them talk about it uh, and talk about what can happen inside and outside. The, the resolution of those differences among your leadership group is how a good strategy occurs. The unwillingness to resolve those differences leads us to essentially political outcomes where we do a bunch of horse trading and uh, nothing important really yeah. happens. We'll do a little of this and a little of that. We want to keep this guy happy. We want to keep her happy. And so we'll do a little bit of everything. And Right. And so the, the, what do you do then? I was interviewing Donald Rumsfeld in 2005 when he was facing the insurgency in Iraq. Mm-hmm. And he was part of a regime that had come to power. They were called neoconservatives at the time. And the idea was we ought to go and stop coddling dictators. We ought to oppose dictators around the world. And the populace will welcome us with open arms as liberators. (laughs) So there we were in Iraq. And we weren't being recognized as liberators by many people. We were being shot at. Right. And he and I were discussing briefly he asked me, you know, what do you do? And I said, I'm a strategy expert. He says, oh, wow, I've got strategy issues. And he said, uh, tell me, professor, I've got experts here that know anything you want to know. You want to know how many sorties we can fly in 24 hours? I've got people who know. You want to know who amongst the Kurds is supporting us and who isn't? I've got people who know. Sure. Yeah. You want to know about the weather? We have experts. You want to know who in Turkey opposed us coming in through the north? We know all about that. He says, my problem is that every expertise, every morsel of expertise I receive is attached to an agenda, either hidden or open. It's someone with a career to push, uh, a company to benefit. uh, They've got some purpose in mind other than helping the United States of America. And they disagree with each other. Yeah. So now what, what am I doing? How do I... How do I cook up a strategy out of that hot mess? Uh, That's why he got paid the big bucks. Right. (laughs) And I'm standing there and I'm thinking, let's see, that's a pretty good question. This is 2005. And I said, Secretary Roosevelt, the honest truth is we haven't a clue. We're no better at this than the ancient Egyptians. 
you take five to 10 smart people, you put them in a room and hope they come up with something. Now, my intellectual wow. life since then has been largely focused on, on that question. You know, what, what is their process for doing this? How do you get people to share what they know in a useful right. way? And how do you get some kind of cohesion around a, a strategic answer? I always get pushback from managers and junior executives that I talk to when I say to them, I says, you, I don't think you realize part of the reason the CEO can't see you tomorrow is he's not in the office. She's not in the office. They're out talking to customers. They understand that all the results are outside the organization and they can't be just doing internal politics stuff and driving things internally. They have to do that too, but they're trying to figure out what the hell's going on. That's right. That's right, Mark. Yeah. You know, one of the things you sense when you go from organization to organization, and you certainly have sensed this, is whether the pressure, maybe pressure is the wrong word, maybe the, but let me use the word pressure, whether the pressure people feel is about the outside or the inside. I mean, if you imagine the molecules of air inside a balloon, right? some of those molecules are hitting the walls of the balloon and keeping it inflated but yeah. most of the molecules are in there hitting each other yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and some of the issue in organizations is well how many molecules are hitting the walls of the balloon right and how many are hitting each other and lots of times we go into an organization and we see that boy, most of the stuff that's going on here is people wanging each other over the head with baseball bats yeah for one reason or another uh and they're not going out there and trying to right succeed in the marketplace some people are but and they're and they are they are their own agenda their agenda yeah. is i want to get ahead yeah and you know if, if you go a, a, a second or third insight along this line is that if we look at the strategy literature a huge amount of it is about how to compete in the marketplace mm -hmm. you know that we have to choose where to compete and how to compete Nothing wrong with that. That's true. But my experience working with companies is that at least half the time, the critical problem they face is inside. That their basic challenge is not the competition. It's themselves. They're doing it wrong. You know, if you're at Nokia, when Apple develops its iPhone, yes, that's a big competitive challenge. But how to make an iPhone? Once... Apple shows you how to make one. It's right. not all that mysterious. Their problem inside was they couldn't coordinate their engineering to do it. They had several hundred models of iPhone, and each was run by a different group that competed with each other. Uh, and that iPhone, of, of smartphones. Yeah, smartphones, yeah. And you know, that was their problem, and so on. So, I mean, if I go to – so it's, the problem is internal, organizational. Right. And getting people to face up to that. Whoa. Yeah. That's much harder than much harder. face up the fact that they have a problem of a new competitor appearing. Okay. So I, I promised I would ask about bad strategy. So we're all struggling to build good strategy when we get to the point where we have some input. But maybe if I'm a manager, senior manager, director, senior director, maybe I'm not in the in the rarefied air where they're going to ask me for my input. They ought to, because I talk to customers and vendors and I have a sense of things. I, you know, 
I know what I know, and I'm willing to talk to people about it. Nevertheless, I don't know enough about strategy to say, this is a good strategy. So it's hard for me to decide, but maybe you could help me understand, how could I tell? What are the signs that maybe I'm at a place with a bad strategy? Sure. Yeah, bad strategy is most people's favorite concept. <laughs> good strategy, bad strategy book. I can't say how many emails I have from people saying, oh my God, thank, <laughs> thank goodness somebody finally called out this nonsense that I have to listen to every year. Okay, but one more thing. I have to interrupt, and I'm sorry. I'm having such a treat doing this. One of the things I told you when I asked you when we finally chatted about doing this show is that I was so pleasantly surprised in the book that you were not afraid to skewer known organizations. I think you used the term bloviating about Cornell, which (laughs) all Ivy League schools are quite good at bloviating, but it was one of the real, um, it was just a really nice tone throughout the book that I didn't feel I was being talked to in order that this book might motivate some CEO to hire you. Let me tell you, we don't write for CEOs, but that's what I think books are. And that's why so many managers read them and sort of go, this is not really great. Or, and, and, and because that's where a lot of the money is. When big clients have lots of budget they can spend on consultants and consulting firms. But you were not afraid to be blunt about things that didn't work. And you mentioned names and you mentioned companies and they made the wrong move because of this, 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 and this. So, sorry, long soliloquy there. So, Mark, baby, that's why I haven't gotten any business. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I doubt that. So, so talk more about bad strategy. Well, a bad strategy is not a strategy that doesn't work. Although, most bad strategies don't work. Right. But that's not the issue. The issue is a bad strategy doesn't have strategy in it. It fails the kernel test. There's not a diagnosis of what's wrong. There are no guiding policies. There's no coherent action. Um, the interesting question is, is really, why do we do this? Why do we have so many bad strategies? Um, if we look at at government agencies, they, they, they are the fountain, fountain of bad strategy. There's the most amazing amount of, of lists of things we wish would happen. What do I have up on my screen right now? Left over from discussing something uh, earlier today, there's the national security strategy of the United States. And it basically says, this is President Biden's guidance on our national security and it says we got to build democracy around the world okay okay it's a nice ambition yeah doesn't say anything about energy doesn't say anything about being hostage to certain countries that are the big energy producers it doesn't say that it doesn't doesn't say what our problem is yeah you know why why doesn't everybody want to be in a democracy so yeah. it doesn't do that. And if you look at you know health and human services or lots of different government agencies, their strategies amount to long lists of things they wish would happen. In companies, and this has gotten worse over my lifetime. I hope I'm not the cause. It's gotten worse. <laughs> 
companies, you know, they think they know what strategy is now because they've all been through it before. And they meet every year and they say, okay, this year we have a strategy and the strategy is, and they set some goals. The strategy is a 50% return on capital, a 50% growth in revenues, uh, and right. a couple other basic performance measures, market share, what have you. And the moment they say that, regular right, folks like us, we know that's yeah, that's bad strategy. It's, it's yeah. game over. Yeah. That's that's not strategy. That's why I think my strategy is to conquer such and such, or my strategy is to take the other guy's king in chess. Yeah. It's not your strategy. No, yeah. That's the point <laughs> of the game. Yeah. That's that's your ambition. Yeah. Okay. There's a different word for that. My ambition. Yeah. But then you have to ask these people, and I sit down. Okay, why is that hard? What's difficult here? What is right. it difficult? What What are the challenges your company's facing? And boy, senior managers don't like to talk about difficulties. They They are trained by the Wall Street analysts never to talk about really. So even even when you're there and they know they're wrestling with a really thorny problem, you find them having reticence about laying out this the map, if you will, of the territory that they're trying to figure out how to chart their way through. No, yeah, huh? they haven't. They don't want to do that. Yeah, certainly not in front of any other managers. Right. Maybe if they trust me enough, they'll talk to me about it. Right. Um, I'm working with a company four, five years ago, and they they're facing a severe problem in in. The change in the basic technology in which they're competing has to do with semiconductors. Okay. And I was I was retained to give a speech on strategy and to do some work with the senior group, which I did. Mm-hmm. But over dinner, I said, you know, it's puzzling to me that you guys aren't treating this major issue as strategic. And he said, no, I got my sequence wrong. It was over lunch. Okay. Before I, gave my, before I gave my talk. Okay. And he said, for God's sakes, don't mention that. Uh. I don't want my people <laughs> to take their eyes off the performance measures. Uh. So there is this problem of, of people not wanting to look at obstacles. But the creative juices, the creative juices I've seen work where people get excited about solving problems and having real strategies only come after recognizing the obstacles, after recognizing why is this difficult? Yeah, you've said that several times. Why is this difficult? Yeah, I mean, a CEO will tell me, well, our strategy is to, uh, we're going to open up uh, an activity in Australia this year. And I'm like, (laughs) so? (laughs) Why is that? Why is that? why does that deserve our attention? Right. Now, suppose, though, you had just had a conversation with that CEO, and he said to you, uh, our strategy over the next five years is to dominate three lines of our, get rid of one, dominate two other lines of our business, and we believe there's significant growth in Asia-Pacific and so one of the things we're going to do is we're going to open up a line of business in Australia. Would that come closer? That's better. Okay. Okay. Do you think there are times when a CEO or some other 
poobah says to you, well, we're going into Australia. And they use that as sort of a synecdoche for that represents this global overarching thing or idea. And they're just used to communicating it down in tactical. I've always assumed that, Richard. I have. Yes. That they're talking down to me. Yeah. And what you're telling me is they're not. <laughs> no, they're yeah. not. They're practicing some pattern they're going to provide on a PowerPoint slide to the board and to Wall Street analysts. Right. And if you say to that same CEO, well, why is it hard? What's, what are the difficulties in opening up this, this Asia-Pacific branch? Mm -hmm. They might say, if you push them, well, you know, that was tried five years ago. And it was a huge failure. Okay. Now there's a lot of kickback and people don't want to do it. I can't find anybody that wants to head it up. Okay. Uh, you know, they might, they might begin to talk about what are right. the difficulties. And then you would say, if you're a good consultant, you'd say, okay, so what can we come up with as a way to overcoming that hurdle? Now you begin to have a strategy. Right. Rather than an ambition. Right. Yeah. It, you know, one of the things that I'm hearing is when you get to the level when you're going to be contributing to an organizational strategy, you really do have to have a strong sense of yourself that you that you can engage with somebody like you and your colleagues and be candid to the point of ruffling other people's feathers, even though that's not the intent, and say, here's what I think we're good at. Here's what we're not good at. I'm worried about what these guys are doing. I think they could take a percentage or two of market share from us, and I'm worried about that, and so on. And to tell you the truth, I think you and I are in agreement, though, although we haven't said it, which is we don't see a lot of that. Courage is not a virtue yeah, yeah. anymore. <laughs> no, yes, don't say that. It's my favorite virtue of all. It's okay. the, Churchill said, courage is, courage is the virtue that enables all the others. Yeah. I, you know, I, I can't speak about everybody. I, I right. know some people's experiences. I had a student at UCLA who came back to me. Uh, she was actually surprised, and she said, you know, I'm I liked your course. I liked the ideas. And so we were having this meeting about strategy and the CEO asked for my response. And I, I finally choked out the words, this isn't really a strategy. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> and he said, what do you mean? Well, strategy identifies the problem and tries right. to solve it. Right. And she said, he put me in charge of, developing something better god bless so, him. yeah whoa. and she was she was amazed that by speaking back right i, I think people assume yes we all assume we, have, we we assume that our leaders know what they're doing i think they do they sort level. of do but, but they're just human but 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 they are surprisingly human and they will tell you actually the ones that i've really enjoyed working with I can think of several in Silicon Valley that say, you know, we we got lucky a couple of times. We made some good choices. We got lucky a couple of times. And the next two years are going to be hard. And it's not obvious. It's yeah, not, no, I'm it's not, not sitting around I'm not sitting around with my feet on my desk saying, Yeah, it's pretty clear. We need to do this and this and this, and everything will be fine. That's not what that's not the way they spend their days, in my experience. No, I mean people who are successful, successful careers, first of all, develop out of some crucial moment 
when they do something hard and succeed at it. Oh, I've never heard that before. Oh, I like this that. Makes, this makes, they make some money. They get known. They have the opportunity to acquire additional power. Right. Now, there is. I, w- I will agree with you that careers, I think a lot of people believe their career is stepwise or somewhat the slope is basically the same, but really highly successful careers are, it's almost as if you're looking at a hockey stick and you're yeah. suggesting that that turn in the hockey stick is that that uh, crucial moment where yeah. they do something no, hard. If look, if you want to get hired into a senior executive position, my basic advice is do something difficult and show you've got right. it. Oh, boss of mine said, swing for the fences. You, you, you might get fired a time or two, but I know a lot of CEOs have been fired a time or two, and then they won when they needed to win. The reality is that these are these are talented humans mm-hmm. that don't know everything. Right. And most of them are smart enough to accept help when it seems the help is credible. But you have yeah, to break I would agree. through I would have agree. to break through that Rumsfeld question of most people offering help are just asking for something. They're asking yeah. for money, they're asking for power, they're asking for whatever. Yeah. And so they tune that out. Folks, that's it for part one. I could have talked to Professor Rumelt for three or four hours if he was kind enough to give me a little over one, as I recall. So we're going to finish this up in a couple of weeks with the Kernel of Strategy Part 2. It gets even better. One of my all-time favorite casts. See you then.